Jenny, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Sharon, for having me. I'm so excited. Well, I am excited too. I love the transparency of you and your husband and your life journey. And before we jump into your story, though, tell me a little about your story today. What a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Well, I'm Jennifer Holder. I'm 41 and my husband and I had just celebrated our, well, next week, but we went on our 20th anniversary trip last week, but we celebrate this coming Tuesday, our 20th anniversary. And we have three kids, 16, 14, and 12, boy, girl, boy. We've homeschooled them up until this point. That's going to be changing a little bit this year, but yeah, we are a very typical family. Um, My husband and I have been in ministry for well over 20 years now, working in various branches of ministry in the church. Also, we had a stint in camp ministry, which was a blast, and then moved into campus ministry and leadership in that area as well. So yeah, so we've been a little bit of everywhere in the ministry world, I feel like. So you have a busy life. Three yes. almost teenagers. <laughs> I know what that's like. Yes. yes. I know what that's like. It's fun though. And I and I'm gonna be one of those people that says enjoy every moment, even though it's challenging. It goes so fast. There are such incredible treasures along the way. So I really think the teenage years have just been so much fun so far. I really love my kids as human beings. They are fun to be with. So it is a treasure to be able to say that. So Well, I want to jump right into your story. Um, You have a powerful message of hope, even though it has been discovered in some really painful and dark places. So tell us about your journey into depression and with your husband and where you are now. My husband is a highly capable, amazing, loving, compassionate man. And he's just known for his humility. He's been so generous for us to be able to share our story with so many other people. But in September of 2019, he had a pretty significant kind of mental break of some sort. He began having panic attacks and those panic attacks started to unearth for us his battle with OCD, which is his main issue that he has underlying um, most of the things, his anxiety and depression. In September, 2019, he started having panic attacks. He was on a business trip when he returned home, we were like, well, that was weird. Hopefully that won't happen again. And a few days later, he was battling them every day for about 10 or 12 days in a row. And then we went through the next couple of months and he had, uh, he experienced well over a hundred panic attacks over the next three months. Those, as they became more frequent and grew in intensity, those led to a pretty significant depression. As you can imagine, when you experience those sorts of things where you're beyond your control, it can be just very, very depressing because you feel completely helpless and hopeless in that process. And so as he sunk deeper into depression, he began to experience suicidal ideation as well. And in four months, our world was just turned completely upside down. He took a leave of absence from his job. And we tried to settle into a new sort of normal for us. We stripped away our lives, everything in our lives, except our kids events, to just try and figure out what was going on. So we were just getting our feet underneath us a little bit. And then this thing called COVID (laughs) entered the world. We were about six months into our journey. And I just remember being just weeping on the phone with a friend and mentor who, and just saying, we just got ourselves, our feet underneath us. And now everything is just being stripped away again. 
and the people that we were trying to find reach out to for help um, seemed like they were even further away. All of our therapy went to virtual, all of our friends, even if they wanted to get to us, couldn't, and everything was in lockdown. And it was a very dark time for all of us. And we had our three kids at home homeschooled. So they were a part of, they were around most of what was going on. After about a year, he started to really improve, even though we had all those things that were going on. As he got gained elevation, I began to tank. I did not realize how much I was carrying the load for our entire family at the time. And I just began to like, just plummet. So I started seeing a counselor again, and that was tremendously helpful. I also began writing and uh, poetry just started flowing out of me in that whole process and really trying to process the grief and the change and loss. My husband's doing a world better now, but also just last week, he had a really, really rough spell as well. And it was, we were back to the point where I was afraid to leave him alone for a while. This mental illness thing is a cyclical thing sometimes. And as much as we would hope that we would turn some imaginary corner and never have to go through that again, we're still in the thick of it sometimes. And I think that's part of the reason why I want to be able to share a little bit of our story is our journey's not over and it's not always helpful to just speak from the other side of things. I wanted to hear other people's stories in the middle of their suffering. I looked for that and it was, uh, it was so helpful when I was able to find those pieces. So yeah, so we're kind of in the middle of it. And um, my husband says one of his greatest gifts he feels his greatest calling is to be able to bleed in front of other people and help them know what that they're not alone in that. And we often see in ministry that there's a lot of people sharing scar stories and not wounds and everybody's got wounds and we all have them and they're bleeding right now. So, yeah. So we just wanted to share a little bit about what that's like and how we go to the great healer for that. I really resonate with that because Mm -hmm. when our son, Mark and his friend Kelly were in the fatal car accident uh, when he was Mm -hmm. 16, I wanted someone in the thick of it. I I needed someone ahead of me in in that journey to come back and say there is hope, Um, but also have somebody that was able to say, I get the rawness right now, right now where you are right now. I get it. And this is what I went through in that rawness. So we need both, but but I, I totally agree with you. And that's the reason why I wrote my book, Treasures in Darkness, because mm-hmm. I, I read that about another woman who had lost a child and said, I needed somebody in the thick of it, you know, and I had my journal. So I was able to pull on my journals to get it into the book. So keep the, those poet poems and your journal entries and everything coming. Um, you're writing your book right now mm-hmm. while you're in the yeah. thick of it. So you had, when you talked about your life, um, you've had 20 years really of ministry. So you are in a faith-based community. How did that faith-based community react? Did you, were you open about what you were going through or did you feel like, oh, we better not tell anybody because we're going to be condemned. He's going to lose his job. It's just going to be another level of loss. How did that work for you? Well, when my, when my husband first started with all of his significant up, the upheaval in our lives of uh, the mental illness things. I would say for the most part, we were just received with a lot of love and care. People just surrounded us. And I know that there were moments where I was crying out to God and crying out, God, would you have other people lifting us up right now in these moments? 
in the middle of the night when he was having panic attack after panic attack, God was probably waking people up and (laughs) um, they were lifting us up. And so I can't imagine having gone through this without that community of faith surrounding us. We were at an event before COVID and we have, I have a picture of a group of men surrounding my husband, praying over him and me. And I asked somebody to take a picture of it just because I needed to be able to go back to that picture and say, I know that sometimes it feels like nobody's there, but I know that there are people who are here who are surrounding us just like this picture. And I needed that reminder. So the community was amazing in a lot of ways, but yeah, absolutely. When he started writing about, we, we are in a position where right now we fundraised for 100% of our salary. So when that, uh, he wanted to communicate with our donors, what was, we were experiencing, he was very open and uh, wanting to share with them. And I had to ask him to wait 24 hours so I could have a conversation with Jesus before we sent that out to everybody. Cause I was concerned. There's a lot of silence in the church and in the ministry world, especially among leaders and, you know, the, the internal struggles of what you're experiencing and what's going on in your life. So I think, yeah, that was hard. I remember, uh, after it had been about a year and a half and I was with a, someone who was asking me about how things were going. And at the end of the conversation, um, she shared a little bit about, or she asked if she could pray with me after I'd shared. And I said, absolutely. We can take all the prayers we could, you know, we can get. And uh, she proceeded to pray for my husband's hidden sin in his life and all the things that were going on that she thought were going on behind the surface. And I, I just felt like at the end of the, the prayer, I, was, I just, thanked her and kind of walked away. And after that, it took me a while to really process what had just happened just because I felt like she didn't really believe him, his story. And that was hard to really process. But I also began, God began to work in my heart and just help me understand uh, and see her, how brave she really was (laughs) uh, to even pray that for us. Because that was a pretty audacious prayer. Um, And she must love us a whole lot to be willing to like to say those things. But I also felt like she didn't, she didn't quite understand what was happening for all of her good intentions. I think that there's a lot of misunderstanding and a lack of knowledge um, in this area. And I was there too. So I don't want to present myself as though I've always been this perfect example of what that looks like to be understanding in that area. But, but I think that, I think that was her way of compartmentalizing what was happening to us, because if she could she perceived what was going on with us as something that was controllable or there was a cause and effect to it, then it was something that would not show up on her own doorstep. And in doing that, it makes the world feel a little safer. So I'm sure that I've done that in the past as well. I think I'm God's been able to give me a little bit of a better perspective as I've gone on through this journey. Uh, but definitely that was a frustrating moment. But overall, I think that the faith community has been such a vital part of our endurance in this season and a a source of joy as well. I think you bring up a really good point. Um, Job's comforters. You know, Job was a righteous man and but they just they had to find some sin. They kept telling him there has to be sin here, Job, or this wouldn't have happened. And you know that. And you're right. I, I am guilty. I have done it. If I can find a reason why that is happening to that person, then I can make sure it doesn't happen to me or my family. 
And I think mental illness is one of those things where we just, it's so out of our control and the physical things that happen in a person's brain and a body. We don't know what we don't know about that. And unfortunately, and I'm, you know, part of that unfortunate is our view of mental illness thankfully is changing in the church, but it, I think there was a period where it was, it's, it has to be weakness in your part. If you would just do these certain things, then you wouldn't be in this situation where you are right now. And so it's an opportunity. What you're doing also is helping people have a different view of mental illness. It is an illness. Uh, we, we think, well, we don't see any blood, so it must not be. Um, but yeah, there is, and, and it's uh, very painful and very difficult. When you realized, you know, when these things started happening with your husband, what were some of your emotions as you realized this is not a one and done thing? I definitely felt overwhelmed. And I think I was really disillusioned for a very long time, hoping that we were going to turn that imaginary corner and be on the other side, quote unquote. It took me until May of this year to really get to a place where I said, okay, God, this is the thing that you're talking about in Psalm 23, where you said you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. <laughs> um, and I began to realize, God, this, people have been telling me, my counselor, my husband's counselor, our couple's counselor, <laughs> that these things will probably be around for the rest of our lives. That doesn't stop me every once in a while from abs- praying for absolute healing. And every once in a while, we'll have a dear friend who'll be like, I just want to pray for your complete and utter healing. (laughs) And that is such a delight to be able to, and I don't want to minimize it, but I do want to pray for it. But yeah, I do that every once in a while, but it took me a really long time to come to grips with the fact that this would be around and be a part of our lives. And in doing that, I feel like I was able to get to a place where I wasn't constantly looking for God's quote unquote redemption of my story and just looking for his presence in it more. Not that I hadn't been looking for that before, but I think as we got uh, to a more stable place uh, in May of this past, I'm sorry, it wasn't this year, May of the previous year, uh, but it was the full like 18 months into our journey. But it was, yeah, it wasn't until then I was really able to allow God to do what he wanted to do with our story. I was still feeling like I needed to move forward, but it was definitely survival mode at the beginning. And I felt Um, I didn't have a word for it at first. I'm not a very, I haven't been a very good griever. I did not understand really what grief really that process was. My counselor led me through some grief counseling specific to that, but realizing I felt loss, I felt deeply confused um, because I didn't have vocabulary for a lot of it. I didn't grow up in a situation where and the church, and I grew up in a Christian school even, and those, we didn't talk about mental illness then more often than not, if I encountered something where somebody, I think in hindsight, I can say that person was struggling with mental, mental health issues of some sort, but they just kind of disappeared. And I didn't, I didn't have vocabulary for what was going on with us. I didn't have the language. I remember wondering, okay, I'm having to take care of my three kids and my husband and now do it almost in complete isolation because of the pandemic. And who's going to take care of me in that process? I'm just feeling like, I think I just took that up on myself. Well, I guess I have to, I'll just pretend I don't have needs. (laughs) I definitely felt alone. I talked with God a lot about it, but I felt anger too. I think eventually I got to a place where I let myself really experience all the emotions and got to that angry spot. And 
and was able to communicate all those things with God. Yeah. So I think that if you can imagine that I had the, that emotion, I probably did <laughs> pretty much the whole gamut throughout the whole thing, but yeah. Did you um, have a, any time where you looked at your husband and thought, if you would just try harder, if you would just do, do this, this, and this, and this, then you would get better? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially at the beginning, because I just didn't understand. We both didn't understand what was going on. And I think in mental illness and mental health issues, the question of agency is a, it's a huge question. Um, where is the line between what are the things that he can can control and where's the, where does that line end and the mental health issue, the mental illness kick in and he doesn't have control over that. And I think we've had quite a few deep conversations slash arguments about where that line is because sometimes I want him to, you know, like if he stays up super late one night and then he struggles the next day because he's not rested well, you know, was that that him not putting in enough effort. Those are fuzzy questions, especially in marriage to try and like sort through because I want him to take care of himself. But, um, you know, we all make poor decisions, little, little ones that all accumulate into these bigger decisions. But I think on the large scale of, you know, where is he in his mental, mental illness journey? And I think I saw him trying so hard. I, I mean, we did, immediately within just hours of everything happening, we were on our, one of our pastor's doorsteps knocking and saying, pray with us, pray over us. If there's something that we don't know that, you know, we need unearthed in us, like we, we want to go there because this is hell on earth right now. And we, we want to uncover every rock. So I think that knowing that we had done all that, seeing the effort that he was putting into trying to be well, I think kind of goes back to what we were talking just a minute ago about, you know, if you have this belief that there's hidden sin or that you did something to make this happen, then you think that you have the ability to get yourself out of it. And I remember my husband leaving a conversation with someone and for the first time after months saying, it finally feels like green pasture because somebody said to him, Trevor, this is chemical. Part of this is chemical. And some of this is beyond your control. And up until that point, he was fighting so hard. And honestly, some of that was, it backfired. His effort, he wanted to defeat every single panic attack that happened. And when, when he did that, he wanted it to be the last panic attack that he ever had. And so he would, he would end up getting close to like it, a panic attack has a cycle, a chemical cycle to it. And it only lasts like seven to 10 minutes, but he would, he would get to the end of it. And then, then be like, I don't ever want that to happen again. I need to do everything in my power to defeat it. And it would just start the whole thing over again. And so he would go through waves of these panic attacks. Um, and so that belief that he felt like he was in control or, you know, it just, it just backfired in a lot of ways. So you're leading right into uh, something that I think everybody wants to know that I, you talk about it being a chemical imbalance. And so mm-hmm. medication that always uh, is a question. And I think in, in uh, faith-based communities and at Christian circles, there's been a feeling, I believe it's changing, but I think it has been yes. that medication is a sign of weakness. But if these things are actually, this is a, an illness and there's a chemical imbalance, there's a, there's a disconnect somewhere. What about medication? What, what do you guys think about that? Right. Uh, well, when 
all this started happening very quickly. We kind of d- decided we were going to take a three-pronged approach and really address things from a spiritual perspective, from a mental perspective, and from a physical perspective, because we're holistic beings and we aren't just one of those categories. And so that's why we ended up on our pastor's doorstep saying, pray for us. Or we asked that group of men to circle around us and pray. And we asked all of our donors, will you pray for us and be be in the the battle with us. So we definitely attacked things from a spiritual perspective, but also, you know, he saw a counselor, he was seeing a counselor like very quickly, (laughs) still sees the same one today. He's amazing. And then the physical component is just a significant piece of that. Like he wasn't functioning. Like at the very beginning, he was on the floor. If we got dressed during that day, he got dressed. I mean, it was a successful day at the beginning. He got off of the bedroom floor. But the medication piece, uh, it felt like that was, we needed something that was going to shift the balance of the chemicals in his brain and tell you what the medication piece was a giant journey. I was used to, I had ear infections when I was a little kid. I was used to have an ear infection. I go to the doctor, I receive an antibiotic and 24 hours later, I'm already feeling better. And these medications for mental illness do not function that way in any way, shape or form. So I think it would have been really helpful if somebody would have been like, hey, the medication thing is a is a, a marathon. <laughs> it is not a sprint. It's not a hundred yard dash. Trying to figure all that out, it was it was a kind of a nightmare. I definitely think that it plays a role in giving my husband the capacity to handle uncertainty now and develop some resiliency for what's going on and help stabilize some things so that he can then develop the coping mechanisms and some strategies that are helpful for management for him and have that balance. It took us probably 18 months before we had, we had two appointments in a row that didn't, we didn't change something in his medications. And it definitely, yeah, I think it's, you know, just like I had a friend whose son was diagnosed with diabetes shortly after our, our whole thing had happened and just realizing like, Oh, nobody t- came to her and said, Oh, you just need to pray for your son. And, you know, and so that I think that that's a, a fairly common analogy, but it is so true. It is absolutely so true. There have been times where my husband has wished that his illness was more visible. Yeah, there was one point where he was struggling with a lot of suicidal ideation, and yet he was told that he probably wouldn't be able to be accepted into an institution of any sort at the time because he hadn't actually he didn't have a plan yet and he didn't have, hadn't actually actually acted on any of it. So we were in this terrible in-between of getting more help, but also not being able to get it. And that was just a very weird place to be. But I remember during that time, he was saying thing about how he wished he could just be institutionalized in that way, because it would validate what was going for other people. And I think that's just a constant battle. People just don't quite understand it. And so the idea that medication played a huge role, it was definitely one of those three prongs and and helping us get our feet back underneath us and uh, the steps toward recovery. He's still on medication. We hold dreams uh, with a, in a loose hand that maybe one day he'll be able to get off some of those in, in some way, shape or form. But for right now, if that's a tool that we can use to give him space, that's a necessary part for right now. I don't, I don't think we would endeavor to continue right now without that. So yeah, I think it's, it's definitely a piece of our journey. 
And I, and I have heard too the the trial and error again. It's we don't know what we don't know about the brain and uh, the trial and error of medication of and hanging in there. And I know the side effects. Some people will stop. The medication might be helping, but the side effects are so awful that they think, okay, I'm, I'm good enough right now. So I'm just going to come off of it. And that doesn't usually end well right. um, when that happens. So it's very painful, uh, very hard. And I would imagine listener, if you're in this journey by yourself, if you don't have someone like Jenny, uh, a spouse who is walking with you, we are so sorry for how hard and painful this journey must be even harder and even more painful. And so we're just hoping that you will see that God will lead you to someone who would be able to walk with you in this journey and encourage you. And Jenny wants to be that person through our conversation right now that there is hope and it's, but it's a hard, it's a hard lifelong journey. You mentioned the suicide, you call it a suicidal ideation. What do you mean by that? And how do you live with the fear that he may do something? He, he may, like you mentioned last week, you didn't want to leave him alone. Mm-hmm. Why didn't you want to leave him alone? You know, were you afraid that he might do something or you just felt like, like he needed you close by? Well, suicidal ideation is how it's manifested with my husband is that he has ideas of what it would be like to end his own life and die by suicide. They come in waves. It's often associated with the, de- the depressive piece of things for him. But yeah, there are seasons where he has definitely been on the edge. He's voiced a lack of hope to go on. There is no reason to get out of bed. There is no reason you would be better without us, you and the kids. He's asked me to take the kids and leave on numerous occasions. And he really meant it. And he didn't mean it in like, I don't love you anymore sort of way. It was the exact opposite. He felt like that was the most, most loving thing for him to ask me to leave. And I think that, you know, sometimes my stubbornness probably felt overwhelming to him in that way. (laughs) Uh, But I told him over and over again, you don't get to choose for me, I choose to be here. Yeah, so I think that the suicidal ideation piece, I often will have to have questions, I'll have to ask the next question for uh, in this dialogue about, uh, do you have a plan um, for ending your life? And, you know, he hasn't gotten to that stage. It's, I think the correct term is um, passive suicidal ideation to active. Um, And he hasn't crossed that line, but that is a line that is, it's, 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 there's not much distance between those two places. And unfortunately, yeah, that's piece of that. So yeah, last week in particular, and this has happened on many occasions through our journey, I've been concerned about leaving him by himself. I have, uh, I was concerned that he would harm himself. I've had to ask him like, are you okay to be by yourself for this time period? And there comes a point, there've been times where he's bonded with, I am just too exhausted to try to do any, which, you know, is not even a comforting answer at all. Uh, those are times where I feel like I'm very aware. I've there have been times where I've gone through the house and gotten rid of all extra medications. I have cleared out things, but at the same time, I cannot control every piece of his world. And there's a place where I have to true, choose to trust that God has been with us every step of the way, and He will continue to be there. But yeah, I think that's been a very dark, heavy piece for me. I remember at one point, I'd, I thought we had done a good job of shielding. I had done a good job of shielding our children from the worst of what was happening. But 
in the very deep thick of it near the beginning, my daughter woke up in the middle of the night and I heard her running down the hallway and I met her in the hallway and she was sobbing. Um, and she said, I just had this nightmare where dad was in the hallway with me and he had a handful of pills and he said he was going to take them. And, um, and then he walked away, mom, he just walked away from me and I don't know what he was going to do. And I just sobbed with her in the hallway. And at that point I hadn't told her I was afraid of that myself, but you know, she was voicing my, my own nightmares. And, um, I just, God just had to show up in that moment. And I knew that he, he was aware and we prayed together, I'm sure. And, and I was able to calm her down and help her get back to sleep. But yeah, it was definitely, it's been a part of our world and it is a very horrible place to be where he's not able to seek the next level of care, but yet he is having suicidal ideation. And that window is where a lot of people live, unfortunately. And it's a gap in our care system, I think. And uh, that's where I feel like I want my voice to fit um, for people who are in that window. Um, and I think God, God is there in that window too. Um, I've had many opportunities uh, to just, God's taken many opportunities to show me he is there right then. And that's been a beautiful thing. It's a big part of my writing that as well, just sharing those moments where God showed up in those, in those uh, very dark times. It's definitely a fear. Um, and I think that realizing that when I, I allow that fear to overcome me and I begin to start that what happens in me is that I begin to start to try to control everything. And that's something I talk about with my own counselor very often, just where that line is and what can I control and what can't I control and doing everything I can to be supportive of my husband and his journey and listening. Listening is so important because often I just want to step in and tell him what he needs to do in order to get out of the spot he's in. Cause it's so easy sometimes for me to say, Oh, this will be a positive step in the right direction, but that's might be out of his reach in the moment and just being able to listen and be present with him. So like last week I just stayed with him and eventually he was able to level out. I think he had a, a panic attack in the middle of it. And then I just asked him, you know, can we just, can we get up and move and change places? and where we are, uh, get out of this room. And we were able to like get to a different place. And then, you know, sometimes movement is really helpful for him. So that was a good step, but you know, he's literally curled up in the bed on in the fetal position. And it's, it's hard to see him like that, but just be there with him in it and pray my way through it or sing my way through it. Sometimes he doesn't like when I sing out loud, but <laughs> So yeah, that's, it's, it's a difficult part of the journey, but um, it's just every moment with Jesus in that moment, in that time. I think Jenny, what you're describing is, I mean, it's so painful, what you, uh, mm-hmm. very, very painful and no one would ever choose to be in that place. And I think that's something that we need as believers, everybody, but believers in particular who know the comfort of our heavenly father is to recognize that excruciating agony is not a choice. This is a, this is something that your husband is experiencing, would never want it. It's exhausting. And for him to say, I just want to get out of it, that is such an indication of the depth of the agony that he is, is experiencing. And also, um, I'm thinking about the exhaustion of the caregiver, the, mm. that you as the one who loves him more than anybody who is just hanging on, you know, trying to hold on, but also having open hands 
knowing that this is, this is the Lord's person. This is the Lord's child. And somehow finding that line of walking that line. It, I, I hope any, any of you listeners who know someone who is in a place like this, that you would listen and you would recognize, well, I had no idea the the depth of the agony that's there and the loneliness experienced by a family who is going through this kind of a journey and yet still holding on to hope and still clinging to hope. And so I think about you, Jenny, and carrying your family, and you've, you've mentioned it a little bit that you came to a point of tanking. What would you say to that person who is in that place, who, who you're describing these situations with your husband and they're saying, that's me. I mean, they might even be crying right now as they're listening to you and feeling, I don't know if I can go on to, to take care of this person that I love so much. What would you say to that person to, uh, what, what are some of the steps that they could take for themselves to care for themselves? I, my heart just, (laughs) like you said, I never would want anyone to have to experience what we're experiencing but I know it does happen in it. And we've had other people share their stories with us of that. I think I would just share first and foremost, you're not alone. Last week when I was really struggling, my husband was really struggling and I was, you know, alongside him. One of the things that came to my mind was, you know, when I was a mom, a young mom and my kids were little, I would cry out. To, you know, they would cry out for me. Hey, mom, mom, I need you. And I would, I would be like, I'm coming, I'm coming. I'm on my way. You know, but when I cry out to Jesus, he says, I'm here. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's already there with you in it. And that is a promise he makes so many times throughout scripture. And I think I would say it has been true for us in our darkest moments. Um, I think some of the practical things are realizing that this is happening to you as well. It was months into the journey before I realized what was happening to myself in this physically, emotionally. I had a lady who I said, I'm just so tired. And she said, my, one of these mentors, she said, Jenny, where were you when your husband was on the floor? I was like, right next to him. Where were you when he was like, you know, in the middle of a panic attack, I was like holding his hand. She's like, this happened to you as well. This wasn't just happening to him. And then I think of, you know, just like even my daughter in her nightmare, this was happening to our whole family. And so realizing as a caregiver that um, caregiver fatigue is a real thing. I was very alarmed when I look up statistics about what happens often to caregivers over a long period of time. It's very startling to see what happens. And then I have my own journey. <laughs> I mean, I developed a TMJ. I had... Um, headaches. I had all kinds of physical manifestations of the stress that we were experiencing. And for the longest time, I just thought like, oh, I'm just tired. <laughs> so really take that seriously though, because those things can develop into significant issues that then make it harder for you to take care of the people that you need and want to take care of. Care of. So I think paying attention and being able to understand your own needs and your own um, your own desires and, and that whole thing. I think one of the things that was uh, really helpful for me on the very practical side of these, this is I developed a plan with my husband in the middle of a time when he was doing well, um, when he wasn't having a panic attack and when he wasn't having, you know, a lot of depression or super anxiety. I asked him for a list of men that he felt like were he could hear from because there were moments where he couldn't receive from me very well for whatever reason. I mean, I tried not to take that too personally, but I mean, I remember I, I do the same thing sometimes to him probably, (laughs) 
<laughs> that's marriage. I think he, I, I asked him for a list of men that he trusted. And I have called some of those men in the middle of him having a panic attack and said, like, I need to get, you know, I need to attend to a child who is throwing up in the other room while my husband's having a panic attack. And I would call one of my friends and be like, or one of his friends and say, would you talk to him for a few moments while I, you know, I attend something in my own house. Um, that was especially during the pandemic when it was, you know, people getting to us was not possible, but I have a list of men and I have utilized it on multiple occasions. And I've asked them if they would receive a call from my husband or from me. And they've answered in very bizarre, inconvenient times for them and just answered that call in amazing ways. So that was one really practical step for me was having a list of people for him, as well as for me that I could reach out to. Um, Also having a plan for, you know, there are times where I thought, okay, where's my phone? Where's my line for calling 911 right now? Or uh, getting him help, just having thought through it. I mean, for a while, I didn't want to ever have to think through it. But I think it was a a very important step for me to know I, I knew what the next step was. And then, you know, even for myself, I remember calling at one point and a mentor and she said, Jenny, you need to get to a place where you can have other help because you need to care for your husband and somebody else needs to care for your kids right now. And so we packed it up that day and went to my parents' house and they've been amazing through this whole process. And, you know, and Trevor's parents as well, they've been a fantastic too. But I think, you know, being able to be in a place where you can get help if you need it. And so asking for help when you need it and for yourself and for him, Seeing a counselor, that's been so helpful for me. Seeking Jesus, obviously, that's a huge part of it. But also seeking joy. God says that he gives joy. So there were times where I just said, God, I can't find the joy right now. I need you to give me that joy. Give it to me in some way. And he would. did. And I just remember looking back at my journals and I read them and I'm like, wow. <laughs> I mean, all it was was a little a little red leaf or a, a little song that would come across my path or whatever. But yeah. I, that for the person who's experiencing in the depth, in the the darkness of it, it is overwhelming and it is debilitating, but you are not alone, even though it may very well feel like that. That is a lie that you are alone. Um, Yeah. And I would just encourage you to be on your face before Jesus and be aware of where he's showing up. God has told me uh, early in this process, I remember and hitting my hand on the steering wheel and saying, God, why did you give me a husband who struggles so much with this anxiety? And immediately I felt God respond to me. I am drawing him to myself, Jenny. I clung to that for so many, so many desperate moments. But then even months later, I remember talking to God about it. And he said to me, and you too, (laughs) I'm drawing you to myself, Jenny. And so just allowing God to do that through this process it makes a humongous difference, but take care of yourself in it because it is very difficult to see your own needs when you're in survival mode and asking other people, Hey, I'm having a hard time seeing my own needs. Do you see anything that I need? And how can we develop a plan to get those needs met? So it is a dark road. I would never wish it for anybody, but I know that other people are already there. As we wrap up, um, thank you so much for that all of those practical ways of for that person who is hurting. And, and I truly do believe that there are people who are listening who are in tears because uh, they resonate so much with what you were saying and they have felt hopeless and they're longing for hope. And your story is giving them hope of how to travel this pathway in a way that honors the Lord, glorifies him, uh, gives them strength 
one of the ways that you also offer the hope of what you are learning, the treasures, I call them treasures in the darkness. Yes. Five, two through three, where God says to an unbelieving king, I'm going to give you treasures in darkness, which is stored in secret places. So you will know I am the Lord, your God, the one who calls you by name. And through the hard places in my life, you know, he's done that, the, the, the little red leaf or the song or nobody else could care that that's a treasure, but it, it is a treasure and you are a treasure. And one of the ways you share those treasures is through your writing. And so as we close, just tell us a little bit about the writing that you're doing, how that is encouraging you when you realize that this is one of the ways that God was going to uh, speak to you and through you as you walk this pathway. Yeah. My counselor suggested it or whatever, but I started writing and journaling and poetry was often what came flowing out. So I think it shows as I go back through my, my journals and find these poems, they show the whole gamut of the emotions that I experienced through this whole process from the anger to the disappointment, to the, um, to the hope, to the trying to grab a hold of hope, to the hope is flipping out of my fingers. Um, and so I, uh, the first time I shared it in a public space, um, several people asked for copies of what I had shared. And then someone came up to me at the same place and said, Jenny, you'd be an idiot not to start writing this down. <laughs> so I said, okay, I'll think about it. And, and then God just placed it on my heart to just go ahead and start writing. And so I've been trying to share some of my things on social media. I am nearing the my final personal edit of a book and hopefully I'll be able to put that out into the world. But yeah, now I have a Facebook and an Instagram account where I share some of my poetry and I have a blog as well that shares some of my own journeys and husband's journeys. Um, and I, I think that my heart is deeply for the people who are uh, the caregivers and family members. And this isn't just for husbands and wives. I mean, I can't imagine having gone through this with my ki my kids as well, you know, and hopefully that will never be their story. If it does, I feel like we have some experience now, but yeah, so I share those things on my, in, in those different ways. And hopefully that book will be out. There's several different working titles right now, <laughs> but uh, maybe I got one from this conversation even, but we are uh, working, moving towards that that as well. So hopefully those things will be available. Um, but for the time being, there's some things out my poems that hopefully I, you'll be able to see the hope, but also be able to see the, the real bleeding wounded story of the here and the now in it, which is what I was looking for when we were in the midst of it as well. So, and so, so your blog is, how can people find you? jfholder.com. We will put all of that information in the show notes because I, I really believe that I, I like to say our conversations are like salty peanuts. Uh, the listeners yeah. want to hear more. And I know that there are going to be people who want to hear more from you. And uh, so that is jfholder.com, but we will have that in the show notes as well. Jenny, thank you so much for being with us today. Friends, I'm Sharon Betters, and my guest today has been Jenny Holder. And I know that her story has moved you. I know that it has given you hope in ways that perhaps you didn't even know that you needed. And so we are praying that you will share this story with others. All of us have someone who needs to hear this story. And I'm hoping that you will share this story. Also, if you are in a situation like Jenny's and you feel as though I, I don't know where to turn for help, I wanna encourage you to check out Anchored Hope online biblical counseling. You can go to markinc.org, M-R-K-I-N-C.org. This is virtual counseling. 
uh, marketing started this counseling center right at the beginning of the pandemic. And we have counselors from all over who are biblically trained, who would be very happy to walk with you in this journey. And you've heard from Jenny how important counseling has been for her and her husband. And so I want to encourage you to check that out as well. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for listening to this Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Visit markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org to find additional free resources on a variety of topics. Online counseling services are also available through Anchored Hope Biblical Counseling by visiting helpandhopenow.org. That's helpandhopenow.org. Download the Help and Hope app on your mobile device. Hope is just one click away.